begin today in my sermon, my talk, my hopefully effective communication of God and His Word to you. I'm very aware of uh, the challenges that a lot of people are facing today. I think of people at home, and um, some of them are on their own, maybe dealing with loneliness. Uh, many people in our congregation are dealing with real physical illness and challenges. Uh, sometimes it's an emotional issue that, that people are addressing. I'd just like us to begin by praying, and um, I'm just going to give you a moment of time when I mention these various categories of need. And I would ask you to just listen to the Spirit, and if the Lord leads you to pray for someone, pray for that person in the way that is being suggested. And uh, I'll finish in a minute. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, we are called to be community. We're called to be your people who love one another and bear each other's burdens and um, are there for one another in time of need. And Lord, uh, in this time of COVID, there are many struggles that people are encountering uh, of, of numerous sorts. Yet, Lord, we believe that if we will simply pray in the name of Jesus, that you will come and that you will move by your spirit and that you will provide for the needs of your people and for those in our community as well. So, Lord, we come and we, uh, we simply will invite you to, to bless some people in some ways. And, uh, Lord, we will trust that indeed you will do that very thing. So, Lord, we come now when we pray for those people who are living alone, uh, and may especially uh, uh, be experiencing loneliness in this season. Hear our prayers, Lord. Our God, we want to pray for people who are <clears throat> struggling with health, some people in our church with very significant health issues. And uh, we take this moment to bring them before you, to pray for healing, to pray for strength, uh, to pray, Lord, for um, your goodness to be known in their lives. God, we pray for people now who are struggling emotionally, some with anxiety, some with uh, fear, some with depression. Lord, uh, again, each of us may be aware of individuals in our own lives, and now we bring them to you that you might bring healing in those ways also. Lord God, we pray for anyone else that you may bring to our mind who is in need right now, whether it be physically or financially or relationally. Uh, Lord, guide us now as we pray. Father, we recognize today that you are able to meet any need, that you are our provider. And Lord, so, so often you have given uh, the things that we have needed. And we have called on you again today to act, and we trust that you will. We'll leave these folks with you in their needs. And we look forward to hearing our God, how you have moved, how you have provided, how you have loved them, uh, because we have prayed today. This thing, these things we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, a lot of you, um, I'm guessing, know the, the, the frog in the kettle analogy. How many of you know the frog in the kettle analogy? Same as in the first service, some of you, but not nearly as many as I thought, so here we go. The frog in the kettle analogy speaks to this reality. It speaks to the reality that if you were to put uh, a frog into a boiling pot of water, the frog would immediately jump out because it knows its life is threatened and it's not staying here. It's time to go. Conversely, if you were to put a frog in a pot of cool water, put it on the stove and slowly heated it up to the point of that water boiling, the frog wouldn't jump out and it would die. Now, I, ha I have to say right up front, I've never killed a frog trying to find out if this actually happens and if it's true, but this is how the story goes. But what I, what I do want to do is use this story to help illustrate the reality of what we are talking about in this series that we're in. This discussion that we're having about living in exile. The water is the foreign culture that we find ourselves in. The reality that if somehow people were to, you know, um, be able to beam us in like Star Trek, you know, beam us into a foreign culture that we hadn't been part of, we would look at it and say, oh no, that's not Christian or that's not honoring of Jesus and I'm not going to participate in that or I'm not going to think in that way. We would say, no, that's not for me. But for the most of us, the reality is we haven't been beamed into this culture. We've been brought up in it. And, and, and the water has slowly been heated up and it has begun to boil. And... Um, really profoundly influence the people of Jesus. And if, if, if we don't recognize what's going on, it can produce disastrous effect in our lives in terms of our spiritual lives. And this is the dynamic that Daniel, and we're looking at the book of Daniel for a few weeks, not all of it, but some of the primary stories from it. This is how Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, found themselves. They were living in exile in Babylon. And we introduced this whole concept last Sunday, and if you want some context, you can go back and listen to that online. But in essence, they were thrown into the boiling water, and they had to figure out what does it mean to live faithfully before God as the people of the Lord, the people of Yahweh, in a foreign culture. So I'm going to read the first of several of these famous stories to you. And we're going to figure out what that meant for them and how that can apply to our lives. Chapter 1 of Daniel, verse 3 uh, to 21. Then the king, king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were uh, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To um, Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resol resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and com compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. 
Why should I see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants, servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds, of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the, his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year <clears throat> excuse me, of King Cyrus. Now, ostensibly what's going on here, what, what obviously uh, appears to be going on here is that the king is wanting to train these young men for three years so that they might enter into his court and build his kingdom. Help him really prosper and grow and hold on to power and gain power and so on and so forth. But in reality, what's happening is he is seeking to assimilate them into his culture. To have them leave behind their Jewishness. I'm going to describe why, why in a minute. To leave behind them their Jewish God. It's clear and it's an attempt uh, at, at intentional assimilation. See this primarily in the change of names uh, that they were given. Uh, you'll know in Bible that the names are really, really important. Jesus, the Lord's salvation. Paul, who was humbled, means little as opposed to what it was before Saul and so on. Names are really important. And this is no different here. And I want to show you on the screen the naming of the, uh, the meaning of the Hebrew names and then the new names which were provided. But Daniel literally means in Hebrew, God is my judge. Uh, the name that he was given was Belshazzar. That means Bel's prince. Bel was a pagan god, a god of the Babylonians. And then the next one is this. Hananiah literally means in Hebrew, beloved of the Lord. Name that he was given, or his name became Shadrach, servant of Shad. Let me just check. Shad was uh, the sun god in Babylon. Again, a pagan god. Next one is... Mishael, which means who is his God? And the answer is nobody. <laughs> There's only one God. Well, his name was changed by the king to Meshach, servant of Shak. Uh, she was a female God of the day. And then lastly, we have Azariah, and it means the Lord is my help. And his name was to become Abednego, servant of Nego, another God of the Babylonian people. You know, you think of it at first, and you think, well, what is a change of name? But really what's happening here is that, that the king is saying, you are no longer servants of Yahweh. I'm going to change this up. This is who you have thought yourself to be? Well, no more. Now you are servants of the gods of this culture, and you will serve them. And indeed, this is who you are. This is your identity. And I want to suggest to you that what is happening here is what happens in every culture that has gone beyond the faithfulness to God. Not necessarily by renaming us. None of you have been given different names. 
but by giving us different gods who will cause us to think of ourselves as different than the followers of Jesus and the children of God. These gods, if we will follow them, if we will bow down to them, they will cause us to identify ourselves by them in relationship to them versus in relationship to Yahweh. Now, we've talked lots about idolatry, and next week is a lot about idolatry, but just briefly, I've told you before, workahol- work can be a god. Workaholism is what comes from it. When we love our work and we, we live for work and it's all important, we treat it like it's God, gives us identity by what we do. I, if somebody could ask me, well, you know, what do you do, Chris? I say, oh, I'm a pastor, a minister. And I could ask some of you, well, I'm a teacher or I'm a laborer or I'm a farmer. It doesn't matter. And we start to identify ourselves by what? Potentially work. My friends, i got to tell you, that is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God, first and foremost. What about this one? I've talked about the God of materialism, which tells us that ultimately and primarily we are consumers. That we exist to buy, to have more than what we have, to get what we can, because material things are our ultimate good. They are most important to our lives. And the reality is, that is not who you are. You are not consumer. First and foremost, you are a child of God. You are in relationship to the Lord. That's who you are, and that will influence, by the way, what you will do in that area. How about this, the God of sexuality? Some people say, well, you know what? Because of my orientation, I am straight, or I am gay, or I am bisexual, or I am transgender, and and, and the list goes on, it gets longer. People are saying, this is who I am. And the Word of God says to them, no, it's not. You may have that orientation, but your primary identity, if you're in Christ, is you're a child of God. Live that way. And so on it goes. All the gods that are given to us in our culture, all the gods that we are offered to worship, potentially can allow us to identify ourselves in our own mind in relationship to them. And the Lord God comes along and says, you know, you need to know who you are in order to avoid that subtle assimilation that can take place even in the lives of believing people so as to become like the culture and to give up faithfulness to God. Now, question becomes, who are you? Beyond child of God, I want to dig a little deeper in that. That, I would say, is your primary identity and mine as well. But think of the names of these people who were named in Scripture. Can you identify with being a Daniel? Somebody whose identity was formed by the reality that God is my judge? That God is my creator? God is the one whom I am accountable to? By the way, God has made his judgment of you in Christ on the cross so that it is done and he has judged you as righteous and as justified in his eyes? It's a done judgment because of Jesus. How about you are the beloved of the Lord? Have you let that settle into your being? You are precious to him. You are deeply loved by God as his child. How about this one? Who is as God? We are people who recognize there is no one like the Lord, that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has come to us in Jesus. We believe in him. And lastly, 
Can we think of ourselves as people who would identify ourselves as those who can say, the Lord is my help? Whether it be for eternal salvation, whether it be for salvation in the moment that you find yourselves right now and you need the Lord to save you, to help you, to enable you, to empower you, to face the struggles that you face. See, my friends, the reality is it's so critically important that we know who we are in Christ and to not let the world tell us who we are because we are not people who worship other gods and we will not be identified with them. Now, Daniel and his friends, when they were given new names, did not resist the name change, even though, as the text goes along, they're still referenced as their with their Hebrew names, but that does change. But, but in this instance, they, they were willing to take on other names because they knew who they were. It was okay. So must we know who we are, as I've said. Secondly, it came to education. For three years, they were to be taught to think like Babylonians. Do you know our culture strives to teach you to think like this culture as opposed to from a biblical worldview, from a biblical point of view, from the perspective of God. The training is there. It's actually happening in our schools, but it happens to us every day of life as we read, as we are exposed to the culture. Now here too, these four young men did not resist that because they knew what they believed. They, they knew scripture. And I want to tell you, we must too. You know what I think about this. I've been on this striving for a deeper knowledge of Scripture for a couple of years now. Not to have a superficial knowledge of what the Bible says, which so many believers in North America now have. I hope it's not you. I hope we are giving ourselves to studying Scripture deeply so that we can come to know the thoughts of God, so that we know, A, who we are, and we know, B, what He desires of us. It's critical that we study Scripture at a deeper level, deeper level so that we can be different from the culture. But the reality is many people don't know the Bible that well. I'm going to ask you again, do you? Is it a Sunday school level knowledge of Scripture? Or have you dug in and said, God, open my mind and open my heart. Let me listen to the, to the teaching online. Let me come on a Sunday morning. Let me read Scripture regularly. Let me read the commentaries. Let me go deeper in a knowledge of how you think and what you want me to know. An example of somebody who didn't know Scripture too well, I, I uh, experienced a little while ago, several years ago, and it, it happened at Jerome McGinley, uh, who was a hockey player, a big star in Calgary for most of his career, very well-known, very gifted guy, but he was known as a follower of Jesus. And at one point, it, it, he was questioned, and in his response, he was questioned about living together before you get married. And his response to that question, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. The Bible doesn't say anything about whether you live together before you get married. It's not a big deal. Well, this made quite a stir in the media, as you can imagine, because they do that. Um, and even to the, to the journalists who were listening to this, it didn't quite make sense. They didn't quite understand, but it made the news. But a month after that, I, I, I was just watching a hockey game, I assume, and I saw Jerome again interviewed. And the interviewer brought this up, and he kind of smiled, and he looked down sheepishly, and he said, well, I've had a chat with my pastor, and I don't think that anymore. Here's my point. And thank God that he did, right? Here's my point. Probably a man, 25, 26, 27, who didn't know what the Scripture said about such things. Now, I'm not 
being critical of Jerome McGinley. I'm saying maybe he's, a, he's too much like too many of us. That we need to dig into the Bible. We need, to, we need to have the Holy Spirit of God open our minds to the things of God, to the thoughts of God, to the truths of Scripture, so that we will know who we are, so that we will live according to the Word of God. And not just buy what the culture tells us to, to think. Because it's popular in culture does not necessarily mean it's of God. Often it's not. But these folks, they were willing to embrace the education that the king gave to them because they knew what they believed. They knew their scripture. They know, knew the mind of God. Third thing to come along, which was intended to assimilate them, first was their identity and, and their in their naming, and then was the education. Third thing to come along was food. But this one was different. This is where Daniel drew his line in the sand. Because to eat the food, that, the choice food that came from the king's table would have clearly broken the law of God as was stipulated in Scripture. It, it wouldn't have been kosher food, we call it today. Probably it had been offered to idols before it would have been served to the king and his, his table. And, and to, to eat this food would have been a clear violation of the law of God. And Daniel knew that he couldn't do it and remain faithful to Yahweh. Well, he determined in his heart not to, and I'm using the biblical word, to defile himself. That's a critical word. It means to pollute or to stain himself before God. He wanted to remain holy before his God. So with respect and with humility, as we talked about last week, he was to bless the city, not to be critical and attacking and, 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 and entirely negative where it wasn't necessary. He approached the officials and he made the request for a change. Um, now, to do so was incredibly risky and took a ton of courage because to resist anything that the king had told you to do literally might have meant that you would lose your head. Even the chief official said, if I do this, and you don't look very good in the end of the day, I'll lose my head, right? But God gave blessing and, and he gave courage and, 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 and Daniel was willing to risk death in order to be faithful to his God. It's a theme that we're going to see unpacked as we go in this book. It was also sacrificial because he could have given up entirely his chances for advancement in the kingdom, assuming he lived. You know, giving up the opportunity of great... Uh, position and great privilege and great power, which he eventually did attain. My friends, the question for us as we look at this teaching is, how will we live in exile? How will we live with, as the frog in the boiling water? How will we live as, as the people of, of Jesus in a culture that has turned away from the Lord? There will be instances, by the way, where we can cooperate with the culture. You know, the naming and the education, knowing who we are, living the way we are called to live by God and, and Scripture. But there will also be times when to become like the culture is utterly unfaithful to God and disobedient to Him as He has expressed Himself through Scripture. And we have to decide whether we, to use Daniel's word, will defile ourselves. Will we? Will we come to that place where we pollute ourselves or stain ourselves before our God through participation with what is otherwise? 
And in the end of the day, I want to tell you, we need to be determined not to do so. We need to be focused and intentional and absolutely committed, even to the point of taking significant risks and even to the point of sacrificing things we might want in life in order to be faithful to our God. Like these men, we will need to live our lives in such a fashion that faithfulness to God comes first. Knowing Scripture, having a, formed a biblical worldview, knowing how God has revealed Himself and His will to us, we do that because He is a God, and B, He is our God. And we will live for Him regardless what might come. So three things here are, are given in, in real clear sequence. Number one, we have to be faithful in terms of our identity, who we understand ourselves to be. We are people who are in relationship with God. We are His children, and we must live that way. Number two, we have to be people who resist assimilation through seeking and having biblical thinking in our hearts and in our minds, the truth of God from Scripture here. And number three, we have to be faithful to God through obedience to His Word. These things will be de uh, determinative in terms of whether we will be assimilated or whether we will be a distinct people in this world. And we are called to be a distinct people. You know, Peter quotes an Old Testament passage and he says, and you'll know the phrase, many of you, be holy as I am holy. God calling his people to be holy in the same way that he is holy. What does that mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be dis distinct. It means to be different from others. It means to be like God. Now I'll tell you the results in, in this chapter, and, and if, if you'll read it and take the time to read it through this whole book, as we will see, the result of these men, young men, and they were young. As I told you last week, Daniel was probably 17 or 18 when he was exiled from Israel to Babylon. While there was danger for them and while there was struggle, and there was both of those in, in, in this story as it unfolds, and there's even danger in this text that we've read today. There was ultimately one thing that was given to them, and that was blessing. Blessing. Let me read 17 and 19. And guys, I'm going to read 20. I don't know whether you can make that happen for us as well, but here we go. Chapter 1, verses 17 says, To the, these four young men gave, God gave, who gave? God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Verse 19. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the queen, king questioned them, he found them, listen, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. This is, this is the experienced wise men crew, right? And these young men, three years into this training, were ten times wiser and had ten times the knowledge of all the wise men in the land. Why? Because God gave them wisdom and understanding. God blessed them deeply, profoundly. Chapter 2, we're not, I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time. I invite you to do that this afternoon. Good Sunday afternoon activity for you. The king has a dream. It troubles him, but he wakes up and he can't remember it. He says to all his advisors, please tell me what my dream was. And if you can't tell me, I'm going to cut off all your heads. Remember I told you what would happen if the king wasn't happy? No one could tell the king what his dream was. How could they? Somebody said, there's a man named Daniel. You've got to bring him in. He brought in 
Daniel, Daniel said, let me go away. And he asked his friends to pray for him. And God gave him the, the dream. God enabled him to know what the king's dream was. He goes to the king. He went to the king. He told the king what the dream was. Then he interpreted the dream. It's a remarkable experience. And I don't, we're not going to have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 46 to 48. Listen to this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, because of all that Daniel did, fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and honored, ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Here is the king worshiping Daniel because of what God enabled him to do. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, is recognizing Yahweh as the God of all gods. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. What did God do because Daniel was faithful to him? He blessed him, and he blessed him, and he blessed him again. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that it's always fun and games. Daniel and these others faced incredible challenges and incredible da danger and incredible threat to their lives. We're going to look at those stories. But I'm going to tell you, God was with them, and God provided for them. And he was able to bless them personally, and through them, he was able to bless the land. See, there are so many experiences of exile in, in Scripture. I'm just going to throw this in. Do you know when Joseph from the Old Testament was exiled to Egypt, sold by his brothers, taken in the caravan of slave traders to Egypt, languished in jail? Eventually, he rose to great power. And because of the dream God had given to him previously, he knew there'd be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, right? And, and, and because of the power the king gave to him, he saved food for seven years and for seven years in the famine, if you would, in the time of potential starvation, the nation was able to survive. God blessed Joseph and God blessed the land, the people. See, what, is, what does our culture need today, my friends? What do you need? You need the blessing of God. How many would like it? How many don't want it? Like, of course we want it. We want God to bless us and enable us and empower us and give us what he chooses to give us. And don't we want God to enable us to bless the nation? Don't we want to be the, a means whereby the Lord blesses Canada? Of course, God loves the people of this nation, and he wants to bless them too. And he wants to pull them from an ignorance of himself to the place that Nebuchadnezzar came to, where he bowed before the servant of Yahweh, never mind Yahweh himself, and recognized Yahweh to be God, the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And where does it start? <laughs> where does it start? It starts with you and me knowing who we are, not letting the world identify our, us. Reject that outright. Don't need to make a fuss about it. Just don't buy into it. You're a child of God if you're in Christ. Number two, let it educate you to the extent that it wants, but know what you believe because you've dug into Scripture deeply and that Scripture has transformed your thinking that you might align your thoughts with the thoughts of God. And number three, when those times come where you cannot live like the culture because of teaching of Scripture, we learn to draw our line in the sand and said, that I cannot do. And I might have to sacrifice significantly and I might have to have great courage in the face of whatever I'm facing but, and I might need to take risks. And I might end up losing, but I will not violate the law of God, the revealed will of God that comes to us through the Bible. I want to 
conclude by, by reading to you a quote. It, it's this. Listen to this carefully. The greatest danger to Christianity is not us rejecting our values and beliefs. That's like a frog being thrown into the boil, boiling water, right? We see it, we say no. It is our participation in a culture that will shape our identity and thinking and lives more than faith in Christ and in his word. You hear that? That subtle influence that comes to us through our participation in the culture. I'm going to read it to you again. The greatest threat to Christianity is not our rejecting our values and beliefs. It is our participation in a culture that will shape our identity and think thinking and lives more than faith in Christ and in his word. Now that, my friends, is a profound statement. I wish I could say it was mine. It's not. And what we have to do is, as the old saying goes, we have to be in the world, participate in a way that's okay. You know, I'm looking at you right now. You're not wearing the same clothes as people wore 500 years ago or, wear, or, or the clothing that people might wear in Bangkok. We, we, we participate in a culture to some degree, and it's okay to do so. But what we have to do is to know Scripture so profoundly that we know what we cannot participate in and draw the line and just say, no, that's not who I am. It's not what I believe. And it's not faithfulness to Jesus. So in conclusion, can I ask you this question? How today can you resolve to not defile yourself before God? Do you know that? I hope and pray that as I've been speaking, the Lord has surfaced some things in your mind and you're going, okay, I get it, God. I'll be faithful to you. It might be hard. It might be risky. It might, you know, hurt me in some ways. But faithfulness comes first. I hope you have something in your mind because we all believe in this culture that has run away from Jesus and denied him. And it's probable that we're all caught up in these dynamics that I'm describing. But can I say this? If you don't know where to draw the line in the sand, dig deeper into the Bible. And the Spirit of God will open your eyes to see the mind of God, to share it with Him, to know His will for you. And that line in the sand is going to get drawn time and again and again as you and I become holy people. Like God, distinct from the world, where necessary. People who are in the world, but people who are not of the world. That's the old saying that I referenced earlier. My friends, listen to me. In conclusion, know who you are. Know what you believe. And obey Christ in all things. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, we want to be faithful to you. I don't think there's a, a, a Christ follower in the world who would say otherwise. But when it comes to living in a foreign culture, when it comes to living in exile as we do, uh, that can be challenging. Challenging to identify the things that are so common in the culture that you don't want for us. Challenging to take risks and to have the courage and to maybe sacrifice in order to do so. But Lord, I want to pray for every person gathered here today, every person who is watching at home, engaged with us, um, 
worshiping you. And I want to pray, Lord, and I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for all of us, Lord, that you would show us what it means to be yours. Lord, help us to be people who are clear about who we are as children of God. Teach us the deeper things of faith that we would know your will. And then reveal to us, Lord, where we simply cannot participate in what we're enticed with in this world. Because we're yours and we will not violate the the spoken revelation of God in our lives, the Bible. Because you come first. Because you are our God. You are the one who identifies us. You are the one who informs our thinking. And Lord, you are the one to whom we will be faithful. Enable us in this, Lord, so that we might be holy in your eyes. That we might be a distinct people in this world. That we might find blessing for ourselves, but God, so that this world might be blessed. That others might recognize that the God of Daniel, the God of and Father of Jesus Christ, and our God, is indeed the God of this world. Bless us, Lord. Make us a holy people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.